better. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Man, I'm just, I am thrilled tonight. I'm thankful for the goodness of God and everything that we have felt tonight in this place. Know that God has done a great work here tonight. And so I know the majority of the work tonight has been done and God knows how to do that. And so we're grateful and thankful for that. But I am going to, I do not have a long message here tonight, but I'm going to uh, present to you what is on my heart. It's found in Luke chapter 15, and it is actually the entire chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 15. This is the parables of the lost sheep, lost coin, and lost son. So I want to read just verse 1 and 2. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. While you're turning there, you may not know this, but we are doing a Be Free Recovery program, and we're just pilot testing it right now. It happens at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning, 9 to 10, and it is a recovery program. It's got some really good people connected and involved in that. They have anywhere from 8 to 10. They come on Sunday morning. It's like 22 lessons, and they're about halfway through it, and they are... Uh, preparing for an official launch. If you're interested in what that is, it is, when we say recovery program, it has to do certainly with addiction, but it also has to do with a lot of other things that are really, really good lessons, faithfulness, uh, consistency. They, they talk about a variety of things. Our hope is when they complete that, it's 22 lessons, we get more information. It is very possible that that, is a, that can be a court-mandated program. So it's very possible on Sunday mornings, every Sunday morning, we will run that from 9 to 10. And then we can tell people who are there, hey, go over to the cafe, get something to drink, and then come to church with us. This is what a lot of churches are doing, and it's been very productive. There was a team that came together, and I said, well, let's see if you can get through 22 lessons. They're halfway there. They're doing a great job, and they're taking ownership of it. I appreciate it very, very much. So let's give them a hand clap of appreciation for doing that. Amen. Being there every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. Um, Praise God. So if you're interested in that, I, I don't know. If, raise your hand if you're involved in that. Be free, recovery. Sister Destiny, Philip Wagner, there's others, Brother Chris. If you need no more information about that, you can just uh, ask one of them, and you can plug into that. Amen. God's doing great, great things. Today, we had the opportunity of being in Primera Iglesia Pentecostal Verdad, truth. And today, Brother Arias gave the message, and I heard Verdad several times, so I, I knew what he was saying. It's about all I knew, but when I heard that, I said, amen, that's exactly right. <laughs> Praise God. They had today 14 core people, and they had 24 people that were guests or that were coming, so that's a, that's a total of almost 40 people. We give God praise for that in three months, three months. Amen. And I'll just give you a report. Uh, their, their music was fantastic. Their singing was fantastic. Their, uh, they created an atmosphere for a move of God in the service and at the end of service. Uh, they, they're doing everything great, and people have taken some ownership of that. And so at the end of that, Brother Marvin told me, we have a couple that needs to, they want to get married, and then they want to get baptized. I said, well, praise God. That's what church is all about. That's, that's, that's good things. Amen. So for all of you that are endeavoring in that, 
Amen. We honor you and we thank you and we're excited about what God is. I can see at some point you running 100 people over there. Easy, easy. You got everything in place that you need. And, and these are top tier people with a burden and desire the anointing of God to be on that endeavor. So, man, I'm, I'm just expecting great things. We got to do some stuff to get more parking because we're, we're running out. This morning, there's people parking everywhere. Uh, but those are all good things. Amen. So continue to pray for them. Amen. Luke chapter 15, verse number one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. For a few moments tonight, I want to preach to you on this subject, famine forgetters. Famine forgetters. Lord, we thank you and praise you for your blessing. We thank you for your word, and we know tonight that it will be a strength to us, so we ask that you would help us to open our ears, our hearts, receive from this chapter in Luke what you are trying to say to each and every one of us and to those that opposed you. We ask these things in your great name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise God. God bless you. you can be seated. So this sets the chapter up. This is chapter 15 of Luke. Praise God. Brother Philip Wagner, there you are over there. I didn't see you. I was looking for you. Uh, he's also involved in the... Be free recovery and very, very excited about it. Amen. He's not a new convert anymore, but he is stepping into a ministry, and that's what it's all about. Praise God. So we're excited about what God is doing in their family. Amen. Praise God. Just a lot of good things. Nudge your neighbor and tell them, man, wake up. There's some great stuff happening. Amen. <laughs> I want to be a part of it. Whatever God is doing, I want to be a part of it. So in chapter 15 of Luke, this, these two verses that we've read sets up the entire chapter. It's the Pharisees and the scribes coming to Jesus. They're murmuring and they're complaining. And what they're saying is this man, Jesus, receives sinners. And not only that, he's eating with them. And so, therefore, they thought he was not a righteous man and he was an unrighteous man. They accused him of being a drunkard and a sluggard. They accused him of being a rebellious son, and being a rebellious son in the Old Testament warranted being stoned. And so they leveled this accusation against Jesus and said he was, at one particular point, he is a stubborn and rebellious son. And here's another one of their charges, is that he is eating with sinners and he's receiving them. So Luke chapter 15 has three parables in it, and they all have to do with the accusation of the Pharisees and the Sadducees that Jesus receives sinners and eats with them. There are two short parables and one lengthier one. This is the only time that we get the parable of the lost son in Scripture. It's found in Luke chapter 15. So the two shorter parables, they're all interconnected, and there is a theme that runs through every single one of them, very strong theme that runs through every single one of these parables. Luke chapter 15, verse 3, is the parable of the lost sheep. He spake this parable and said, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. 
Now, before you get upset, he is not saying that 90 and 9 just person don't mean anything. That is not what he's saying. Thank God for the 99 that are faithful and consistent in the house of God. We need to thank God for 99. Praise God. They're here every service. They're worshiping God. Hallelujah. The attitude of the 99 should not be, I'm upset because more attention is being given to one that is struggling. You need to gird up your spirit and say, thank God I'm 99 and I'm not having problems and I'm in this thing. I'm consistent. I'm plugged into ministry. I don't need a pattern on the back every service because I'm plugged in to being involved in the kingdom of God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sometimes if we're careful, we'll forget that. And he said, but there's one that comes in. There's a sheep that has been lost. It's been recovered. And so the theme that is throughout all of these is at the end of it. He says, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Praise God. Joy should come when the sheep comes home. Joy should come when there is a discovery and they are found. Every time somebody comes to Jesus, every time somebody repents of their sins. Every time somebody comes back from being gone and, and out in a world, we should be a church that has some joy and thanksgiving because God has done marvelous things. We're reaching for new people, but we're also rejoicing when somebody comes home. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so that sets up a theme, and this again it's his justification back to those who have said to him, you're eating with sinners. And you're receiving them. What would I, the other night, uh, the other day, was the night, was the day, Bishop was preaching and he said something that rocked everybody's world. He said, I want to see more people. And then he gave this long list of what he wanted to see in church. He wanted to see people that are tore up, tatted up, decked out, all this kind of stuff, uh, dyed hair, everything. He was going through all the stuff made up. He's going through it all. You know what he was saying? He was saying, we need to be a church that welcomes everybody so that God can work on everybody rather than trying to clean everybody up before they ever get through the doors. Praise God. If you're here in the house of God, we're glad you're here. We know there's a lot of circumstances in your life, but we're not going to stop you at the door or in the parking lot. We want you to be here. Praise God. Clap your hands and thank the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise God. So uh, this should be our desire. Revival, as the young people sang here tonight. That was the first parable. It was a, we're going to read the whole chapter. So if you have your Bible, you can keep it open and you can read along with it because there's something that gets missed. And so while you're reading it, you can ask yourself, what gets missed? By the way, I was talking, I was reading something that said, if you hear something, you retain it was like 2%. If you hear something, you retain like 2%. If you speak something, you retain more. And then at the end of it, this is what was very fascinating to me. At the end of it, you retain 90% of what you teach someone else. That is amazing. This is why Bible studies and the harvest and everything is so very, very important. Because when you start teaching, that's when you start retaining. Praise God. Fascinating. <clears throat> Where were we? We were talking about parables. So the next one is a short one. You can read with me. It's just um, looks like three verses. Either what woman having ten pieces of silver 
If she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. So in the first case, he says there's joy in heaven. In this case, he said there's joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repenteth. In the first one, it was talking about sheep. In this one, it's talking about a lost coin, which we may have a hard time wrapping our heads around, finding one coin, and then gathering all the friends and the neighbors. It's probably going to depend on how much we need the one coin. And so if you're really in need of something and you find it, it is a cause for a celebration. Praise God. So you're going to invite other people, hey. I was in need. I was in difficult times and circumstances. I didn't know where to turn. It felt like that I needed something, and I lost what I, what I was expecting or depending upon. But somehow, I found it, and when I found it, it's worth telling somebody else about it. So I'm going to call the friends and the neighbors, and I want them to come together because we're going to rejoice because I found the coin that was lost. I searched all over in the house for it, but I finally found it. So that's worth celebrating over. That's a smaller one. And the summary point here is the parables change, but there is a theme that is established. There is joy in heaven over one sinner. Joy in heaven over one sinner. One sinner comes home, joy in heaven. One person prays through, joy in heaven. One person gets a breakthrough, joy in heaven. And so the example is this. If heaven is rejoicing over one person that makes their way to God, then what should the earth be doing if heaven is doing that? And if earth is supposed to mirror the image of heaven when somebody prays through, then the earth should work in cohort with heaven and say it's time to rejoice because somebody has come back to God. Hallelujah. Amen. And then we come to the prodigal story, and we're going to read the whole prodigal story with your Bibles. You got, I saw some young people tonight up here worshiping God. They were jumping up and down. That's amazing. Praise God. You, you, you sing something that's verbal, and then you worship, which is nonverbal. You can kill your message if you're saying something, but it looks like your verbal communication skills are not really good. I, I didn't understand a whole lot that was going on in Spanish service today, but I, I so what did I do? I, I didn't just look like oh, I'm bored out of my mind or start messing around with my phone. What do you do in a situation like that? You don't know the language, right? And you're there as a guest, so you can't, like, check out, right? Because every once in a while, you know, they'll look at you to, to see, you know, what are you doing? So what do you do in a situation like that? You base your response on the nonverbal communication. So I don't know what they were saying, but when their voice kind of got like this, I was like, amen, that's good, that's right, I feel that. Woo! And then when I heard verdad, that's the truth, that's right, praise God. Anyway, so nonverbal communication means something. Listen, if you're on the platform, you should pursue nonverbal worship, which is with your hands and your face, 
and your legs and your feet and everything that you got because there's an energy in that. It's not only what you're singing or what you're saying, it's also what you're doing that everybody else can feel. Hey, there's a power here and an energy here. What is that? It's the power of the Holy Ghost. We're not pretending. We're basing everything that we're doing on the anointing of God that we feel. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so here we come to the prodigal story. So we're going to read the whole thing. There's something that gets missed in this. And he said, this is verse 11, a certain man had two sons. Everybody reading with me? All right. You're looking for something that gets missed. And a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare and perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. And then if you had some ominous music to enter in right here. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Now there's some elements in this parable that are interesting. In the very beginning, the son is asking for something that implies impatience and disrespect. You don't ask your father to give the inheritance that is at your father's 
discretion. This crosses the line. It crosses boundaries. It's disrespectful. It brings disgrace to the community. You are falling into the trap of being a rebellious son, and yet the father graciously, even when he has crossed the boundary and he has crossed the line, he gives him his inheritance, and he wastes it with riotous living. I don't know what riotous living was like in the first century. I could really imagine it here in this century, but in the first century, apparently, you could still waste your money with riotous living, with partying, and the brother is upset because he spent his money on a bunch of prostitutes, and he was partying, and he, he just wasted everything. It was wasteful, and he was upset. When he spent everything, he was left with nothing. This paints a picture of what sin is like because it is a pretty picture, but eventually it leaves you with shame and guilt, and it takes everything of value from you. This is a lie of the enemy. There may be sin for a season that is pleasurable, but ultimately it leaves you with nothing. He spent everything that he had. He thought people were close to him, and they were close to him as long as he had money. Thank God in the house of God, we'll be with you when you've got nothing. We'll stay with you when you come from the bottom, and we believe that God can elevate you. We're not going to abandon you when you walk in here scarred because of sin and life and degradation and dysfunction. No, we're going to support you. We're going to pray for you. We believe that God's going to bless you. Hallelujah. I wonder tonight, does anybody have that testimony? You came and you came in this place. You didn't have a whole lot, but thank God, God did amazing things with your life. Praise God. And you're in the house of God, and you're in the house of God with your children because God is gracious and merciful, and he's reaching to you to remove the stain and the sin that was on your life and give you a new identity and let you walk in the mercy and faithfulness of God and the grace of God. Hey, don't, don't, don't give in to your past, and don't walk in the shame of yesterday. Walk in a new day. Walk in a new day. This poor, this poor young man went out and spent everything, and, and, and that is so like the enemy. And so he, he's got nothing. Everything that he had of value is taken from him. And so he comes to a recognition, and this is really a, a major part of it as well. He's, he says, I have sinned. This is very, very important because he recognized, I, I have done something that is wrong. And repentance is a key issue with God. This is why we preach repentance, and this is why we don't back away from it, even if it can be distasteful to people. You've got to repent of your sins. This is important. It's a key issue with God. You can't move beyond where you are if you don't repent of the sin that is in your life. You can't carry that with you and still expect God to bless you. You've got to walk away from some stuff, a 180. You've got to go a different direction and say, I am not walking according to the dictates of my life presently. I am repenting of it. I am leaving it at an altar, and God is going to take me beyond this place into a future that is blessed, where the favor of God is upon my life. That takes repentance. Repentance is a type of death. Sometimes it's difficult. It's not easy. It is a death. You are mortifying the deeds of the body so that you can live. It's a key issue with God, repentance. And there's another element that's amazing. The father is watching. 
The father is waiting. He sees him coming from afar off, and he runs to him. There was a message by Brother McDonald that he preached uh, in our church some time ago that was so amazing that he said, in the father running, there were a couple things. Number one, he picked up his garments to run. That is not something that you do. That's, that's beyond protocol. And yet the father is saying, I don't care. I'm coming to somebody that is in need. I see my son coming. The prodigal is coming home. So it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I'm running to him because he's making his way home. And then, secondly, the reason why you ran to him is because the community knows. You better know the community knows because everybody talks. I saw a quote that was so amazing. It said, yeah, you're talking in Holy Ghost on Sunday, but you're also gossiping on Monday in English. Yeah, ouch. I don't know who said that, but that's a tough one right there, huh? Don't talk in tongues and gossip in English. Praise God. Talk in tongues and speak good things in English. <laughs> Anointed things. Holy things. Praise God. You can, you, can, you can be assured that everybody in the community knew exactly what the prodigal had done. He asked his father for his inheritance. He took that inheritance and spent it on riotous living in a far country. And he's coming back with nothing. So the father running to him was to protect him because, as we've stated, a stubborn and rebellious son is worthy of being stoned. And so when he is coming and the father sees him, the father runs to him also to protect him from the community and make a very valid statement to the community. Don't throw a stone because I'm making my way to the prodigal son that's coming home and I'm going to protect him. That is a great picture of the church. Man, somebody comes to church, sometimes they're in and out, in and out, in and out, and they come to church and you got people ready to pick up a stone. We're going to stone them because they've been, they've been here many times before. We don't stone them with a physical stone, but we throw them a stone with every negative thing that comes out of our mouth. We need to be like the father that says, you know what, it doesn't matter. If you're in the house of God, God can do a miraculous thing here. Praise God. You may have been in and out, in and out, in and out, but it only takes one time for God to turn things around in your life. And we want you to know this. We're not giving up on you. Praise God. We're going to fight for you. Praise God. We're going to fight for you. And so another element that's interesting is uh, he celebrates. The father celebrates. This is a big celebration. He gives him elements that, I mean, that are amazing. He puts a robe on him when he's coming and he's in rags and he's tattered, tattered, and that's what God does with us. He takes our robes of righteousness are as filthy rags, and God puts a, he puts a robe of righteousness on us. And he gives him a ring. And the ring is important because that was the signet ring. That was something that stamped any documentation. It, was, it, was, it gave you the ability to make decisions. And so here you were just in the pig pen, and you come home, and this is the mercy and the goodness of God. He doesn't beat you over the head, but he puts a robe around you, and he gives you a signet ring, and he says, if you want to make decision, you can make the stamp of authority because I'm reaching for you, and I am so happy that you are home. These are elements of the prodigal story. So here comes the elder son. And the elder son, these, every single one of these parables are answering. He receives sinners and he eats with them. Jesus responding to that. And he's looking at it from the view of God. The father is God and heaven. And the elder son comes with a nasty attitude. And the nasty attitude is the Pharisees. And what does the elder son say? I've been here the whole time and you've never given me anything. You know the problem with the elder son? The elder son didn't have the same heart as the father. He was resentful. 
So these are all amazing elements, and that's chapter 15. Now, here's, here's where the famine forgetters come in. Mark Allen Powell wrote an article entitled The Forgotten Famine, Personal Responsibility in Luke's Parable of the Prodigal Son in the book Literary Encounters with the Reign of God. Mark Allen Powell is a theologian. He had 12 students in a seminary class, and he read the story. He said, I want you to, he gave them the assignment. I want you to read the story carefully from Luke's gospel. I want you to close your Bible, and I want you to retell the story as faithfully as possible to a partner. And so they did. They read the story. Close their Bibles. Okay, now I want you to tell the story. This goes back to hearing, speaking, communicating, activating. The more you'll learn. If, if you do all these things. And so he was trying to get them to retell the story based on what you read. And so they all retold the story to each other. And here's what he found very, very fascinating. None of the 12 American seminary students mentioned the famine, which precipitates the return of the prodigal. We read it. It's there, right? It said there was a great famine that precipitated the prodigal feeling like I, I need to do something, I need to go home. None of the 12 American seminary students mentioned the famine in the retelling of the prodigal son. So this piqued his interest. He thought, well, this might, this might lead to a larger experiment, and so he did. He took 100 people, he had them read the story and retell it as accurately as possible to a partner. And what he found, only six, that means 94 people missed it. Only six of the 100 participants mentioned the famine. Only six. Only six. The group was ethnically, racially, socioeconomically, and religiously diverse. But they all had one thing in common. They were all from the United States. And so he said, that's amazing. So he went to Russia, and he had the opportunity to do the same experiment. So in St. Petersburg, Russia, with 50 participants, he told them to do the same thing. Read the story, retell it to a partner as accurately as possible. 42 of the 50 mentioned the famine. Why? Well, I mean, it's pretty obvious. We haven't had a famine in the United States, right? And so while there may be in some situations hunger not to the level of where that would jump out at you, 42 of the 50, why would they see something that only six people out of 100 would see in the United States? It's because 70 years before in St. Petersburg, Russia, 670,000 people died of starvation after the Nazi German siege of the capital city started a three-year famine. So they were more attuned to the notion of a famine in the story where people from the United States only focused on the guilty, the immoral, and the disrespecting of his father and the squandering of his heritage, which is there. It states that. But others saw his spending less important than the famine. To them, the story had to do less with willful rebellion and more to do with God's faithfulness to deliver his people from hopeless situations. Both of these are correct. 
But because we focus on the wastefulness of the prodigal, let's not forget about the power of deliverance. God can help you in hopeless situations. When they were in hopeless situations and they had nothing and people were dying, the story of the prodigal is in the middle of a famine, God was faithful in a hopeless situation. And he reached out to a prodigal and said, hey, you can come back to the father's house. It's not just about your wasteful living. It's about a God that is going to be faithful to you in hopeless situations. Don't be a famine forgetter. You say, well, which interpretation is right? They're both right. It's a matter of what lens are you looking through? And through the lens of famine, you see that more than you see anything else. And so we're always focusing on the wasteful living and the riotous living. But I'm presenting to you tonight another angle, which is very, very clearly experimented and shown statistically that there is something that other people see in this that I think would be a value to us. And that is this, no matter what situation you're in, it may look hopeless to you. There is a God that is still watching. There is a God that is still that is still going to give you mercy that is still faithful, praise God. And so when you find yourself wandering around in a desert, don't be a famine forgetter and say, God has just abandoned me, he's forgotten me, and there's no way out of this hopeless situation. Yes, there is. There is a father that is watching. He knows you're in a hopeless situation. It feels like you're in a hopeless situation. You don't see any answers, but there's a God that knows exactly where you are, and he's going to bring encouragement to you. He's going to bring strength to you. He's going to build you up and somehow he's going to get you out of the famine when nobody else can because God's a provider. We look at situations in the scripture and we see hopeless situations. Abraham and Isaac, God commands Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac as a test of his faith. Abraham complies with God's command and he prepares a sacrifice, his son. But even though this seems like a hopeless situation, Abraham's faith in God is ultimately rewarded because God provides himself a ram, a substitute sacrifice. And the story is there to serve us as a reminder that even in hopeless situations God is always there to provide a way out Isaac says dad I see everything that we have for the sacrifice the wood I see the implementation but where is the sacrifice it looked like a hopeless situation and Abraham had his knife in his hand willing to be faithful to what God asked him to do and God stopped him and said there's a ram in the thicket I've prepared a ram. I've prepared a sacrifice. It looked hopeful, but all of a sudden God came through. It's there to remind us, no matter what we're going through, we may feel like the knife is in our hands, but God makes a way where there seems to be no way. Joseph is unjustly thrown into prison after being accused of a crime he did not commit. And while in prison, he is able to interpret the dreams of the Pharaoh, and he is eventually released and given a high position in Pharaoh's court. This story serves as a reminder that even in the darkest of times, 
God can still use us to accomplish his will. I'm in prison. It seems like there is no way out. It's dark, dank, and it stinks, and there is no way out of here, and I don't know what's going to happen. God can still use you. Praise God. You may feel like you're in a prison, and there's no way out, but God knows exactly where you are, and he's aligning things according to his will. As long as you will be faithful and trust in God. Anybody hearing what I'm preaching here tonight? I need you to read between the lines, okay? You may feel like you're in a prison. It feels depressive. It feels like a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And it feels like there is no way out. I want you to hang on and trust God. I want you to be patient because God works in hopeless situations. Don't be a famine forgetter. Recognize God is still faithful. Woo! Delilah deceives Samson into revealing the source of his strength. And with that information, she's able to weaken him and have him captured by the Philistines. However, in a twist of fate, Samson is able to use his last bit of strength to bring down the temple of the Philistines, killing himself and the Philistines in the process. This story is a reminder that even in hopeless situations, God can still use us to accomplish his will. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Woo, I'm not going to be a famine forgetter here tonight. No, this is my message, and that's the title, and that's what I'm preaching. And I want to tell you, you may feel like your failure has completely nixed you, cut you off, assassinated you, and you'll never do anything for God. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I said that's a lie from a pit of hell. God knows exactly where you are. Samson, he's calling and reaching for you. Praise God. you got to get up and say, you know what? That was yesterday. That was a failure of yesterday. But I'm looking forward and God's got a call of God on my life and he's going to use me somehow in the midst of this. I'm not going to be a famine forgetter, but I'm going to trust in God. Hallelujah. Amen. A few more. Jonah and the whale. Jonah refuses to obey God's command to preach to the people of Nineveh. And as a result, he's swallowed by a great fish, and he's marooned in the depths of the ocean. But God does not abandon Jonah and eventually saves him from the depths of the ocean. This story serves as a reminder that even in the most hopeless situations, God is still with us, and he will not forsake us. Even in your rebellion, God is showing mercy to you. Jonah is running away from God, and God's still merciful. Thank God for his mercy. Hallelujah. David and Goliath, you know that. Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel's thrown in the den of lions by the king of Babylon and refused to worship. However, God sends an angel to protect Daniel in the den. He's eventually released unscathed. This story serves as a reminder that even in the most hopeless of situations, God is still in control and will provide a way out. How am I going to get out of this? It's hopeless. God's going to provide a way out. Praise God. You came tonight. You, you, you're asking questions. I know what I'm talking about here tonight. You're asking questions. How, how, is there a way out? What do I do? What, I, need, I need direction. I need counsel from God. God knows exactly where you are, and God's going to make a way out of hopeless situations. Don't be a for, famine forgetter. Praise God. There is a God that, that is watching. He knows where you are, and he's going to be faithful to you. The Jews were exiled in Babylon. They were taken into Babylon after their cities destroyed and the Babylonians took them captive. However, God provides the Jews with hope and a way out. And this story serves as a reminder that even in times of despair, God will never abandon us and will always provide a way of redemption. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
He enters into the garden to pray, knowing that he's going to be arrested and crucified. And despite the hopelessness of the situation, he entrusts himself to God's will and ultimately gives his life so that we might be saved. This story serves as a reminder that even in the most desperate of times, God will never abandon us and will provide strength to see his will accomplished. As the musicians come here tonight, Paul and Silas in the New Testament church find themselves in the prison, in the inner prison. In Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, and at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. When it looked like there would be no revival, God made a way in a hopeless situation. Don't be a famine forgetter. God is faithful in hopeless situations. You don't know where to turn? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. No matter what the power of sin is, no matter how great the addiction is, there's a God that saves. Praise God. Wandering in the desert, I'm here to tell you tonight, he's your way out of a barren land. He's a God that provides hope in hopeless situations. Are you tossed on the sea of life? I'm here to tell you tonight that he can bring you peace that passes all understanding. Need to fill that void in your life? Jesus can fill you with his spirit. He can fill you with the Holy Ghost. Need an answer when it feels like there isn't one to be found? Jesus is still the answer. Praise God. Don't forget he's the God of the famine and he's a God of hopeless situations as we stand together in this place here tonight. Amen. Everything that has transpired in this place, this is the cherry on top. Those situations that you feel like are hopeless, God's the God that works in the middle of those situations. Amen. I want you to take that home with you here tonight. Thank God for a move of his anointing and his ability and the power of God that we feel. But more importantly, take this home. God works in the middle of a famine. And sometimes these things are in our life to help us recognize and see we need to run to God. We need to go back. We need to go back to the Father's house. Praise God. Sometimes God puts things in our life and sometimes we bring ourselves by our own circumstances into situations that cause us to reflect and say, man, it is better in the Father's house. And so I'm going to run back to Jesus. I'm going to run back to the Father who is going to be faithful to me and in the middle of what seems like hopeless situations, I'm going to lift my hands and say, God, I want to repent of every attitude, Every spirit, I want to come back and receive your mercy and your faithfulness. I want you to direct me, and I want you to guide me. Amen. Let's lift up our voice and our hands together. I thank you, Lord, and praise you. I repent even tonight. Amen. I repent of every decision and every circumstances that I face and bring because of my own self-interest. I want you to know, God, tonight that you are faithful. You're a God of hopeless situations. 
Praise God. Just for a few moments. Amen. Let's absorb this. Hallelujah. God will run exactly to where you are. You have a need in the house of God tonight? He'll run to where you are. Praise God. I want you to lift up your hands, and I want you to express that need. Before we do anything else, we call on you. Thank you, Lord. Call on the name of the Father. God manifested in the flesh. You see my need, Lord, so I speak to you. Show up, show out, Jesus. Move how you want to move, Jesus. Do what you want to do. altars to people that maybe didn't move. Amen. Praise God. And then the rest of us will join together. If you're praying about something and you've come to church and you kind of caught yourself into a rut of just sitting in the same place doing the same thing, I'm not here to beat you over the head, but I am here to encourage you tonight to step out of where you are. It's good to move from our comfort zone. Amen. It's good to move out of our comfort zone and say, God, I want you to know I'm making my way to you. Praise God. I'm stepping my way to you. Praise God. Not yet. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Come on, step out of the pew where you are. Hallelujah. Walk to the front here tonight and say, God, you see my needs? Hallelujah. Amen. I'm bringing them to you because you are the Father. Everything I've tried to do has been a failure, but I'm coming to you and I'm asking you, Lord, put a robe on me, a robe of your goodness. Praise God. Put a ring on my finger that gives me the authority to say to the enemy, you're not going to steal my joy. You're not going to steal my peace. I'm in the Father's house, and therefore I can take authority over every spirit that is not like you. Let's do it together. Praise God. Come on, let's do it together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's clap our hands unto the Lord. We love you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. We thank you and we praise you and we worship you. Let the power and anointing of God go with you. And don't forget that God is a God of hopeless. 
situations. Amen. God bless you. There's somebody close by you. Amen. Greet them and tell them have a great week in the Holy Ghost.